there are plenty of people, wealthy people, that would rather have a good return on their building or their house and get top dollar. I can even overpay if I get the right terms, especially with principal only, than sell outright. I guarantee you they do. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today we have Chris Prefontaine. Chris is a real estate investor and mentor that focuses on purchasing properties on terms only. In this episode, you'll learn how to properly secure deals to protect your downside, and we'll learn how to set up systems to build your real estate investing machine. If you're new to this podcast, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday, and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. By the way, if you need help financing your next real estate project, check out Conventus Lending. Conventus is the best hard money lender with the best rates and the best service. I've used them for years, and they've been able to pull off miracles for us to close on time, all while being incredibly easy to work with. If you need a hard money loan, contact me at sean at everythingrei.com to get $1,000 off of your processing fee. And if you want to know the secrets of how the top investors in the Bay Area are making huge profits in one of the most expensive markets in the world, download the free Ultimate Bay Area Investing Handbook on our website, everythingrei.com. Enjoy. All right, Chris, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and how you got into real estate. Sure. I, I don't want to date myself too much, Sean, but I've been at this since 91. Man, started off building homes, didn't know anything about building, but a partner did. And then uh, in 95, I bought a realty executives franchise, put my broker hat on, had never done that. And then in 2000, I sold that to Coal Banker. And from that point on, did my own investments and coached people throughout North America. And that led us to the lovely real estate debacle of 08, unfortunately, but fortunately now, because what that taught us was to do exactly what we're doing now, buying and selling on terms only, no banks, no personal signatures, none of that stuff, none of that garbage. So can you tell us like what happened in 2008 and how you guys got impacted from it? Sure. So mainly we did what too many people I think to this day do, which is conventional. I'll put down X percent on say a commercial building or a home and I'll finance the rest and I'll sign personally on that. So I had 22, 23 properties or so that once the market dove by in some areas, two thirds of value, it was crazy. All those banks, where do you think they went looking? They came looking for me because I was on it personally. So at the time I thought good credit. Oh, good. I'll just get all the loans I could get. Well, that was a mistake because they all came knocking right? They want their money. When the market crashes, they don't care. And so the difference now is we just don't sign personally any loans. We don't even go out and solicit investors. We just don't do it. We, we buy everything, either lease purchase or owner financing. And it's good for us. We're seasoned, but it's also phenomenal for the new person, you know, not wanting to get too exposed. And when you were getting those loans, uh, was it a problem that at the time when the market tanked, your tenants also vacated the properties? So you weren't getting that cash flow to pay out the mortgages? Good question. Some, because the economy took a turn, right? Nationally, it wasn't just us in real estate. So yeah, that, that was some cases. But then the other cases, Sean, quite frankly, we over leveraged the properties. We got them at, you know, say full value and then had so much financing on them. When the market dropped, there was no wiggle room whatsoever. And especially, I, I mean, we had some properties in the city in Providence, Rhode Island. We had a six unit there. I, I remember like it was yesterday. We bought the six unit. We condo converted it. 
had three sell off at like 175, right on target. And then the market crashed and we couldn't sell the last three for 50 grand each. Wow. That's pretty major. I mean, that's an extreme, but that gives you a taste for just about 10% what was going on in my world in, <laughs> in 08. So at that time, you just had to let them go, right? Yeah, we let some go. We worked out short sales on others. We kept one or two for a long time and rent them and finally get rid of them. It was just working. That was a whole part-time endeavor. I remember my son was in a shared office with me and, the, and what he learned during all that was just intense. You know, So today he works with me, my son-in-law works with me and we'll never do that again. We control 50 or 60 properties in our area and another 50 or 60 or so around North America with students. And not one of those properties are we on personally. That's quite a far cry from where we were. And I can sleep better at night. I can tell you that. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So once you guys decided, okay, I don't want to do this anymore, getting loans from big lenders, uh, how did you start going about getting you know, different kinds of loans? Yeah. So we mainly do type properties now with either lease purchase or owner financing. The first one, the lease purchase is better for the new person because we literally have $10 built into our agreements for a deposit. So, you know, anyone can handle that. The owner financing side of things, because we do no money down and we typically structure principal only payments. So we have a serious chopping down of principal. Because of that, though, we can't expect the sellers in most states to pay their transfer tax because we're not giving any money to do the deal. So for the new person, I'd stick with lease purchase as your entryway to get some cash flow going. And then as you get seasoned and or some cash flow going, I love the owner financing even better. So most of my listeners are actually here in the Bay Area. And I think it's very, very rare to do owner financing here. So can you give an example of how do you approach a seller and, and you know, ask them, hey, would you be willing to do seller financing on this property? Sure. First of all, to your point, yes, that market's hotter. However, the office building I bought about, we're almost exactly a year. We're three days away from a year. We bought that for our own companies and there's some tenants in it. But I'm telling you that story because we live on an island. It's very hot, always very hot, very high end. And everyone said, you can't do terms around here. Well, we've done several homes and this building now we have 20 year terms on. So where do you find these? It's where you find the leads that's important. So we find leads by free and clear lists free and clear property. So listen, think about this. If a person is free and clear on a property or a building, do you think they're in dire need of cash? Nope. No, they, they would have already done it, right? They would have already refinanced or something. So you're fishing in a really cool pond, even better free and clear and absentee, like they're out of the area. Okay. They're out of state. So now you're dealing with a different, I don't want to say class. I don't want to, I, just a different group of people. This guy who sells the building, for example, does not want to be cashed out by any circumstances. When I told him I might do something differently with some debt structure, he said, no, 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 I don't want to be paid out. So there are plenty of people, wealthy people, that would rather have a good return on their building or their house and get top dollar. I can even overpay if I get the right terms, especially with principal only. They'd rather do that than sell outright. I guarantee you they do. You just have to go find them and they're usually in that free and clear pond. And I'll tell you that in the U.S., Roughly speaking, there's about a third of the properties that are free and clear. Well, that's a lot of people. And, and I was speaking with a woman in Naples, Florida, about a month ago now, maybe two. She's a mortgage broker. She said, oh, no, in our area, it's like 56% of the homes are free and clear. Man, that's think about that number. There's a lot of people in there that will do owner financing with you gladly. And so when you're doing owner financing, you're saying you're doing on principle only, like no interest attached to it? Yeah, most of ours are principle only, Sean. Very recently... 
we've been going back to some of our four and five year principal only structure deals and saying, hey, Mr. And Mrs. Seller, got an idea for you. Let's extend that 10, 15. We just did a 15 and we'll add like 4% interest. So we're taking four, five and six year deals and turning them into 19, 21 year deals by adding just a teeny bit of interest after already having some serious principal pay down. And most of them are doing that with us. So for an example, if you are looking at a commercial property, that's probably worth like $2 million today. You just say, oh, I'm going to pay you this $2 million over five years, no interest attached to it. And they're probably okay with it. Some you can tier the interest, meaning I want no interest for year one. I want one and a half percent, two and a half percent, and you can tear it up. So over time, they're getting their price and they're getting back to interest. I will tell you that for the most part, sellers want their price. Some of it's ego. Some of it's just they're, you know, they're stubborn with it, but they want their price. And if you give them their price or more over time, they pay. I'm not going to say they don't pay attention. They pay less attention to the interest and or principal. Mm, that makes sense because that way you can buy it and you don't have to pay all those you know, the interest payments and you got time for that. Yeah. And they don't have to claim interest income if you think about it. So that's just a matter of personal tax planning for them, but they're not claiming any interest. They're just getting principal payments. So whatever their capital gains might be, sure, but no interest income per se. So this might be a dumb question, but if you're paying about $400,000 a year over five years, you still need to come up with those $400,000. Yep. Uh, where would you Where would you get that money? Yeah, sure. That's the most logical question. So we cash out of all our properties on a rent to own or some type of installment sale. So we will always have a couple things going on. All of our deals, Sean, are creating three paydays. This is pretty cool for any business owner. First payday, buyer comes in, they put a non-refundable down payment down so we know they're serious. That's payday one. That averages like 28 grand for us on single families. Payday two, to your point, I'm going to pay the seller something and that something has to be lower than I'm collecting from my buyer on a monthly basis. So I got to be within the market with that. So that's payday two. That adds up over the course of the term. And payday three, of course, is two things. My markup in the property from what I bought it for and the principal pay down benefit throughout the term. Those three paydays for us, much higher in your area, but those three paydays for us in New England are about 75 grand. In California, our two students are closer to about 110000 In D.C., it might be 150. You know, It just depends on the market and the pricing. But those three paydays are pretty lucrative, and they give the investor the exact cash flow that they need. If you think of an ideal business, what is it? One that can produce money-wise, one that can produce now cash flow, ongoing, and long-term. We've accomplished that with our model, all three paydays. Yeah, so you're basically doing like a subject to wrap, right, for this kind of strategy? We can on the owner financing. Yep. If it's a lease purchase, we're just doing it on a rent to own. Same end result, just different instrument. Hmm, makes sense. Okay. So now that you have, I guess, a good system going on, what kind of team structure do you have? Yeah. So my, I'm lucky. I'm blessed. My son-in-law, Zach, handles all our acquisition now on the property side of things. He also coaches and he came to us at the end of 15 with zero experience. So let me think that was four-ish years ago came from bartending and personal training and now handles all our transactions. And then my son, Nick, handles all the buyers, whether it's owner financing or rent to own. And then they have an admin person, an assistant, Sue, that handles everything for them. They don't work at full time because we coach as well. We actually do rev sharing with students around the country on their deals. So it would take a an active investor after the learning curve, of course, after a year or so, it would take them like two and a half days to run what we run on the buying side. So we'll buy one to four properties a month. But as a team with all our students around the country, we're in the 
12 to 15 a month range for, for properties, all these types of deals, terms. And you mentioned that you guys do coaching. Like what is a common thing that your students come to you with? Like what are some of the common problems that they come to you with? Most of our students are new. We have some veterans, but most of them are new and they're looking for all the basic foundational things. Like, do you guys teach how to set it up? Do you guys teach who I should call for my lead sources? Do you teach scripts? Yes, we. that's what we do for the new person so that we literally bring them through our system A through Z and have them doing exactly what we're doing. And what's cool is we're still learning. I, I mean, I've been at this now. What is it? It's going on 28, going on 29 years next year, but there are still curveballs. Right. So it's cool that we're still in the trenches. We get a, a kind of a weird thing on an agreement or a weird thing a seller throws at us. And what do we do? We immediately bring it to our community and say, hey, we made an adjustment. Here's why. And we're constantly learning with them, which is pretty cool. And you want and need that in real estate because it changes too quickly. Has things changed over in Rhode Island? I mean, the last couple of years, like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's slowing down a lot of areas. We're, right where we live, like I said earlier, is an island, so not really. I mean, things are hopping like in my neighborhood, but if you go off island, which is just 20 minutes, you leave and you go on uh, inland, it's still fairly hot. There's pockets that are hot, but it's a, it's flattening a little bit. And all around the country, we have the benefit of seeing all the different markets. Most of them are still hot, like yours, I'm sure, still is. But the high end is slowing down for sure, which makes it a great lease purchase market and a great owner financing market. Can you go over like a case study of something that you would tell your students to do? Like imagine they're brand new. They don't have money, right? Like they don't have money to actually buy properties. Yeah. What do you recommend that they do? Okay. So a couple of things, if there are students, I need and want them to, depending on what their goals are, to plug into the community. So we have a, on Slack, for example, we have all of the students and the associates are there and it's different than just listening to us say, okay, go do step one. Next week, we'll talk to you. Go do step two, three, four. That's great. We teach everybody the same skill sets. Why do people come out of the back end of that with success faster than others? They stay plugged into the community. We want them to manage expectations. So right out of the gate, if you're brand new with me, I, I want you to be clear that this is not a get rich quick. This is a business that has ridiculous potential, as I alluded to earlier, but it's going to take some time, some learning curve. And third, uh, basic foundational skill sets, like I call it blocking and tackling, right? The basics, getting down pat with the scripts. So you're comfortable calling a seller because I think the biggest stumbling block for a new person is, well, what do I say? And then once I get a deal, how do I structure it? So those are all the things that we do. Uh, it's a long answer to your question, but those are all like foundational skill set things that you got to get past and then just stay plugged into the community. And are you having your students send out direct mail pieces or cold calling them directly? We don't do direct mail, especially when they're new, because it costs money. And in my opinion, until you get it really dialed in and you've got some scale going, it's not predictable. You'll get deals, but it's not as predictable dollar for dollar. So we do dials either ourselves, teach them to do it themselves, or a virtual assistant. Most of them hire the virtual assistant to do the calls because they're trained and they're not that expensive. And they can focus on just calling the ones that you know kind of raise their hands with the virtual assistant, meaning saying, yeah, I'm open to terms. Have so-and-so call me. So it's mostly phone calls. And I can then tell you with predictability, it's going to be roughly, I'll give you some idea of metrics. They're going to get about 17 property information sheets from a virtual assistant, meaning properties that people said, yeah, you know, maybe, or you have them call me until they can get an appointment. They're going to take about 25 of those contacts to get an actual deal. And then to get it sold, you might be talking about 40 property information sheets. So all said and done, if I talk to 40 sellers, I get a deal that's worth 75 grand to me. Not too bad. So I just want predictability. You know, if they stink on the phone for the first year and the numbers are higher, okay, as long as we know that. It's very predictable. 
That's really smart strategy. Um, what are you doing to get those list of phone numbers? We actually just use online services for those three. That's not like you and I talked earlier about free and clear, right? That's not that. You have to buy a list for that. And that's those are cheap. But instead, we use a service that pulls for us all the for rent by owners, all the for sale by owners, and all the expired listings. And then we just either call it ourselves or have a virtual assistant call it. Do you guys have your own virtual assistant team to do it for you guys? Or are you guys just finding someone like uh, through Upwork or online jobs at PH to have them call for you? We've tried them all and it can get super frustrating. As, as so many people know, we have our own team now. So our students are what we call our associates, our higher level students. They have access to all of those virtual assistants. With the exception of one, they're spread out around the country. They're not in-house to us, but they all work with us and for us. Mm-hmm. Can you give us an example of a deal that you look at? Like what is your buying criteria when you decide this is something I want to move on? Yeah, I go by um, motivation, to be honest with you. And I don't mean that in a negative connotation because motivation for a free and clear home, I'll give you an example. We bought on the water, a place called Cape Cod here in the area, just under a million, 945,000. And we did pay some money down. We broke the mold on this, but we only put nine grand down on a million dollar house. Owner financing, principal only. What did I look for on that deal? Numbers were secondary. First and foremost is what's the seller going through, good or bad, that they want to fix or get to fix if it's bad get to if it's hey i just want all the money for my property and i'll give you the right term so i look at motivation first and then of course does the math have to work yeah to your earlier question that house has to make sure that i can get on the market for my rent owner or for my buyer if it's owner financing it has to cash flow positively past what i'm paying now for principal so motivation then the math okay i have an example for you maybe you can walk this through with me I have sent out direct mail and I've gotten some calls. And of course, there are people who obviously want more than what their property is probably worth, especially in that condition, right? This one property, I think we buy it at 1.2. It's a good deal. And he wants 1.6. The basement was apparently flooded. He's trying to move out. He's like living with his mom. I don't know how to convince someone to go from 1.6 down to 1.2 to make the deal work. What would you recommend I do in that case? Let me ask you this. Is there underlying debt on it? I believe so, but it's not as much as... uh, normal not free and clear it's not free and clear but you know relatively low compared to the purchase price okay so maybe in the four hundred thousand range without knowing much about the makeup of the seller i always when it's an appraisal issue always go this way this is more script but i say it's you i'd say all right sean listen i'm on your team like i want to structure this deal for we both win the challenge is if tomorrow you or i were to sell this thing at one six Unfortunately, we're going to waste about 45 days in escrow and then it's going to die because the appraisal is not going to come in. You and I don't make the appraisals up. So you're constantly getting on their side of the fence. You and I don't make that up. The market brings that to us. And right now, I'm not finding anything over one, two, unless you can show me some comparables. I'm not. I'm just not seeing it. Now, that's from a script standpoint. I try to just get on their side and I would even offer to pay half of an appraisal. If they will agree to be realistic and go to appraisal, say, look, I'm not in business to lose money, but I will pay full market. In my case, we pay full market. So I would do those types of things with appraisals and or comparables discussions. If it's free and clear, however, I would just structure a monster term, like a 15 or 20 year term with principal only. And then that, I don't know about losing 400,000. But you're going to probably, you could easily go up 200,000 over asking if you got 10 year terms and the right principal pay down. That's true. I mean, at 10%, you're basically going to be paying 200000 in two years anyways. Yeah. And if you paid interest on that, you're blowing money out the door. What if you paid $2,500 a month on that house, principal pay down only? That's thirty grand a year. 
Well, do that for 10 or 20 years, maybe more. You got a nice little deal there. What do you do if you eventually sell the property? I think one of the problems that people were having were that they didn't want to get paid out because they didn't want to pay the taxes. Oh, like capital gains? Exactly. Okay. So you're talking about maybe a seller that holding a note and they don't want to get cashed out? Or are you talking about the investor that doesn't want to get cashed out? Well, for example, you're doing seller financing, right? And you're saying, all right, I'll pay you this much over 10 years. And the seller is like, yeah, I like that because I don't have to pay that massive amount of ta- capital gains. Oh, yeah. Uh, but what if you know you sell the property? Then are you going to continue paying this guy out for the next 10 years? No. Okay. I got you. Now I understand the context. No. So that the when you structure that deal with the seller, if that was a steadfast thing, they would have to put in the loan docs that is, you can't cash them out before it, or it's a heavy onerous penalty, prepayment. So if they don't put that in there, you're free to do whatever you want. But remember, if you're doing principal only, you want it to go as long as you can anyway. So let's say that I took a 10-year term and I'm searching for buyers. Do I want a buyer that's super over-the-top strong and could cash me out in a year or two? Or do I want a buyer that says to me or needs time to get seasoned, for example, self-employed? I want someone that can take their time. I won't have my finger on their back to get them cashed out and push them. I won't try to hold them accountable. I'll let them take the full 10 years in that example you just gave for sure. Or even write it in that they can't cash out that long, that quick. Oh, so that's what you're meant by rent to own, right? So you buy the property under terms and then you have someone who is basically renting that property and eventually will purchase it from you in 10 years. Yes. Big caveat though, just so the, the listeners understand, a lot of mentors and educators will teach, yes, put that rent to buy person in there. And then who cares if they cash out or not, just go do it again and collect another deposit. That may be true legally, but it's morally, morally and ethically stinks. So what we do is if you're going to be a rent to own buyer with us, you're going through some pre-qualifications, number one. So I know that you can cash out at whatever year that they tell me, but also you're going to put a down payment down. So you're not some glorified renter that makes a decision later to cash out. You are cashing it out or you're losing your down payment. So it's a serious decision. And there's a mortgage ready plan that says you'll be ready in year, whatever, five, six, two, whatever it might be. And then we accept you if we want, if it fits within those terms. So when you say you have 60 properties all under terms, they're all kind of in the structure where they're all basically rent to own? Yeah. Or or we did, like you alluded to earlier, owner financing with a wrap on a sub two. Yep. But most of them are rent to own. And where are you finding your buyers? That's the easy part, believe it or not, because once you offer out terms in your market too right now in the Bay Area, you've got anywhere between 60 to 80% of the buyers out there today without any tweaks to their credit, without any more down payment saving, they can't get a loan. So your buyer pool is enormous. So when we get property, it's more how to get the property. Once you get property, we go online. So we're hitting things like the rent links and the Craigslist and the Facebook marketplace. Those are all being syndicated all at once, like 25 or 30 different portals. Okay. And do you need to have a buyer lined up before you close on a property or are you pretty confident in your capabilities that you just close on it first and then figure out? Uh, That's a good one because unlike wholesales, we don't teach to build a buyer's list, but we do teach them to, if they're going to put it under agreement, make it contingent upon a buyer. So they might take a 90 day window, right? And they, or 60 or 120 and then go out and find their buyer and then start making payments. Now there's, there's different nuances with that. If you're picking up a big amount of equity, do you care if you start one, one or two months early and have a small payment to make if you can afford it? No, you don't really care as much. Like a student this weekend has put a, together a small deal. It's a one bedroom condo. The payment's tiny. It's like 700 something dollars a month. And the seller insisted before he leaves the country, he's going back to Israel. He said, I want to close by January 29th. Well, that's two months out. So 
my student was comfortable saying, well, by two months out, then I don't have a payment due for 30 days. I'm comfortable finding a buyer. I won't make it contingent upon one. But either way, you need some time if you're new to, to ramp that up. Yeah, that's a good question. And I'm assuming you're just having everything done as is. You don't do any repairs to the property and it's like kind of like buyer beware for them as well. Yeah, typically you're 100% correct. Unless it's something glaringly obvious that we know that you know it's not going to fly. But for the most part, if it's habitable, we can sell it on a rent to own. And if it's really bad, and it's a handyman. We advertise it as such and we discount it as such. And we look for that person that can handle it. You know, we interview and we want to make sure they can handle it. So yeah, for the most part, we're not touching them. And I also saw that you're, you know, also the host of one of the top podcasts in your area. What are some of the key lessons that you learned from talking to all of your guests? You know, it's, that's a good one because they're all different niches, right? We don't just bring people on that are in our space. We bring all different people on. The biggest thing is most of them that are also educating talk about on the student side, making sure people manage their expectations, as I said earlier. And on the deal side, it's finding someone or some system or some community to attach to so you can fast forward your success and not have to go get all the bumps and pains that everybody else does. You just don't have to. There's so much free information now out there that you can first go on and find out, okay, what niche do I like? Great. Then once you find that niche, you can say, who's in that niche that I can follow that's doing what I want to do still, current, not in the past, because that's too dangerous. And then third, once you get those two things done, they all agree that it's just now following it with blinders on for a good three years. Now, some people say a year, some people say two. You can do a deal in that quick. You can do a deal in six months maybe, but you should commit for three years and you'll have a great experience by following someone that already did that. And what are you seeing it to be the top mistakes that new investors are making in this business? Signing personally would be a big one. A lot of people just either don't think anything will happen to them or think that's the only way to do it. And second is, I hate to keep going back to it, but it's mismanaging expectations because I know the late night TV shows and some of the seminars will tell them they can do it, but they need to act as if it's going to take them a good six months ramp up period and have enough cash flow to handle that, not feel like going into anyone's system or niche that they can do a deal in 30 days or else this doesn't work. You're better off going to get a job, stabilizing the cash flow, then coming in. Is there a minimum amount of money you think someone needs to be able to start this business? On our end, in our space, they're going to need about to do it aggressively, like at least one deal a month. They're going to need five or $600 a month to run it. And then that does not include website. So you'd have to factor that in. So yeah, if someone said, what is the ideal number to start at? I'd say have access to, meaning credit or cash, or have a partner that has access to at least 10 grand. And that's minimal. Okay. That's actually not too much. Yeah. No. And you're saying five to $600, that's like hiring your virtual assistants to do all the cold calling for you and buying your leads? Yeah, you're going to hire your assistant with that and you're going to get to about one deal every month. Once you hit that, you're going to need you're going to need more help and you're going to need more overhead and you're going to need a personal assistant. But keep in mind the numbers I gave you though, you're talking 75 grand and up a deal that you can fix a lot of things after a couple of deals in on your team. Yeah, so that'll handle your virtual phone system, your VA in your lead generation. The only thing that doesn't handle is any website because some people build their own and some people want to go out and buy, you know, a done feel like we have. It just depends. So I didn't include that in that number. Mm -hmm. And do you only purchase properties locally to you or do you kind of go out of state as well? We operate in three different states as a family company, but with our students, we're all over North America. So Canada and US. Okay. So let's imagine you are someone that's 
brand new into real estate. And I think people who listen to my show probably have around $50,000 to $100,000 mm-hmm. to spend. And typically they would just buy their own, you know, one single family resident, put $20,000 down, rehab it, whatever, and then rent it out. So imagine you're a brand new investor and you had $50,000 to spend. What would you use that money for? I would actually use 10 of it. Like I alluded to earlier and you said how much, right? Go right back to that. I'd buy the website outright for four or five grand, get it done. Now you're up and running. I then leave six months reserve. So the six months reserve is going to give you the other three or four grand. Now you're at just under 10 and you have a little buffer to be able to go out and buy properties at 10 to $100 a piece on a lease purchase contract. That's what I would do. So why did I leave the other the other 30 or 40 alone? Because I said our philosophy is cashing out these buyers, but life happens. And you might get out of your first, say, 10 deals, 15 deals for the first year, you might have one headache in there. And that one headache could be a curveball that somebody got divorced or a death in the family or they beat up the property. We've seen it all. And so you're going to want that little extra buffer if you don't have the credit. I use your example with the cash to get you out of that so you don't worry about it. And then go do another deal. But if you're so tight that you did 15 deals and you have zero credit, zero partners and zero cash, uh, when that headache comes, you're, you're not too happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really cool that you really only need about ten thousand dollars to do your strategy, and it seems like a pretty easy way for a lot of people to get into, I guess, even the real estate business. Uh, I understand you guys do coaching as well, right? Yep. Yeah, we do. We have uh, a lot of free stuff because I think, as I keep alluding to, the people should go check out what niche they want to, you know, settle in. And then we do have an online platform, and then we have a higher level associate program where we actually partner with people around the country and do deals. Cool. And how can people get more information about that? They can just go to smartrealestatecoach.com, uh, free webinars there and you know more free stuff there. If you want, I can actually give a link. If they say they're on your show, they can actually get our Amazon bestselling. We have two, but I'll do the first book that we've been talking about, which is Real Estate on Your Terms. You want me to give them that link? Sure. Okay. So they can just go to freesrecbook.com. So freesrecbook.com. It's a hardcover copy. We will not ask for a credit card for shipping. We ship it. So all you do is put your address in there and say that you're on Sean's show and we'll get it off to you. Perfect. And if you can go back in time and give some tips to yourself, what would you say? Well, the piece that I gave when you asked that good question earlier about what road they should take with find a niche, find a mentor, and then do it for three years, that's the biggest thing. And then the the fourth thing would be just don't sign personally on your loans. There's no reason to. There's a lot of niches, just not ours in the industry that you don't have to do that. Don't get yourself in that position. So back in 1991, you tell yourself, figure out how to do seller financing, find out how to do subject to wraps, and don't put your name on the loans. That would have been a lot better. Perfect. Do you have any final tips before you end the show today? You know what? Stay plugged into shows like yours and, and all the free stuff online because back, back then, like you just alluded to the 90s, that wasn't available to you and it's out there for you. Keep immersed in it, but don't get slipped up by the shiny object syndrome. In other words, find that niche and don't deviate from it for that three years. It's really easy. There's too many curveballs in this industry to get sidetracked. Just stay focused. And how can people get in contact with you? The smartrealestatecoach.com is still the best uh, because there's a contact button on there, Sean, as well as the free webinar. And then, of course, our YouTube channel has got just a plethora of deals. They can go look at that. That's going to be the best way to get us. And what is your YouTube channel? They can just search Smart Real Estate Coach. Perfect. All right, Chris. Well, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. Good chatting. Cool. Thank you. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. If you only buy on terms, you don't need to personally guarantee the loans. You're able to offer the seller any amount that they want as long as they agree to let you make principal-only payments over 30 years. You can pay out in three different ways. The difference in the down payment, the difference in the monthly payment, and the difference in the total purchase price 
and the sales price that you have with your buyer. You should also hire callers and virtual assistants to help you with your efforts so that you can spend time talking to people who have already agreed to sell their house to you. Hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was helpful, let me know what was the key takeaway you got from this episode and share this with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Cam. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day.